Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Before we dive in tonight, will you all bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, God, I pray that tonight you would restore our community. Lord, I pray um, that you would show your goodness even when we mess it up. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that tonight, if anyone does not realize they're made in your image, if anyone doesn't realize the people you've made in your image that are around them, I pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts know what you've done for us. pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, guys. Hey, I'm Daniel. Welcome to Crew. We're so excited you're here. Tonight, we're going to continue through our talk series. We've been going the last couple weeks through this talk series called God is Good. We are talking about the things in our lives that we really struggle to give to the Lord, but if we actually let him in, he has great, good, beautiful intentions, things he wants to do with them. And tonight, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm both really excited, but I'm also a little, scared's too strong a word, nervous is too weak. I'm going in tonight with a little bit of what we call in uh, Bible, Christian-y language, fear and trembling. Because tonight, we're going to be diving into what I've become convinced is the greatest idol, the greatest distractor, the greatest confuser of people, especially students at the University of Georgia's relationship with God. Tonight we're talking about how God is good in our community. God is good in community. Um, uh, I'm a little nervous tonight, like just like I said, because if you read scripture, we're going to talk about this further um, tonight, but if you read scripture, you realize community, what we mean by community is what happens when people who are Christians gather together, when we form relationships, when we build friendships, and we start to form groups That's actually a God-given gift. He gives that to us. And actually, if you read scripture, it's intended to be the great testimony of the Christian faith. It's meant to be the thing that pulls people to God the most. It's the greatest way you could ever do evangelism is in Christian community. And yet, if I'm being honest with y'all, in my life and my experience as a minister, especially a minister here at the University of Georgia, I have seen nothing distract people, distract groups, or portray God in a worse light than Christian community. Um, Let me highlight this for y'all. Again, I'm being really vulnerable on the stage with y'all, so bear with me. This is not meant to be accusatory or aggressive or harsh. I'm just trying to be really honest with y'all tonight. Um, In my job as a minister at the University of Georgia, um, it means I meet with a lot of students. Uh, At least, minimum, five days a week, I'm meeting up with students. And every single time I meet up with a student, These two questions come up at least once every time I meet with a student every day here at the University of Georgia. For the last three years, this has been my life. Asking students two questions. One, how are you doing? Two, where is God? And if I'm being honest with y'all, I can count the times on my hand when one of these three responses hasn't come up, all having to do with community. The first response I get is I feel so lonely 
so ostracized, so isolated, so rejected. I am so alone. I'm so outside of community, especially Christian community. I'm so outside. I've been so ostracized. I feel so outside of Christian groups, Christian friends, Christian community. I'm alone. The second response that I get just as often, a third of the time, is I'm drowning in Christian community. I feel trapped. I've got too many people asking for my time. I don't know what to do. I feel like there's so much pressure on me. I'm trapped because there's too much community. The third response I get every time. When I ask them those two questions, how are you and where is God? I'll go entire meetings with students where that second question does not get answered. I'll go entire sit-downs, sometimes two, two and a half, three-hour sit-downs with students, asking them those two questions where they never get to, the answer, to answer the question, where is God in my life, because they're too busy talking about community. Well, she did this, and he did this, and I felt this way because they did, and we never actually get to the point where you talk about God in God's community. I have seen no idol as great on this campus as community, and it's so terrible because it's meant to be the greatest testimony of the Christian faith. Uh, if you actually listen to Jesus and what he said about his community, when believers, when people who claim to be Christians claim to follow him, when they gather, when they form relationships with one another, this is what he has to say. Uh, in John chapter 13, it begins this thing we call the Last Supper. Jesus having his last meal with his disciples. He's talking with all of them. And again, if y'all know, any, if y'all, any of y'all have lost a loved one and have been there in the hospital um, waiting for them to die, you guys know this. Death clarifies things. Jesus is about to die, and he's clarifying things for the people who claim to be his followers. And this is the first thing, this is how he starts his last supper, his last talk with them. I want you guys to see it. It'll be on the screen. This is John chapter 13. He says, they will know you're my followers. They'll know this is Christian community if you love one another. Some translations will say it this way. They'll know you're Christians by the way you love one another. This is what Christian community is meant to look like. It's meant to be so filled with love, so different, so whole, so life-giving, because God's in it, that it literally should be noticeable to people when it's a Christian friendship, when it's a Christian group, when it's a Christian community. It should be so distinct and so different that people can just tell, oh, those guys are Christians because they love each other that radically. Paul says it this way. In Romans, he's talking about what should happen when Christians gather together in community. And, and he talks about it this way. He says, uh, they should see your good works. Your community, your tight-knit community should be so outward-focused. Y'all should be so not cliquish. You should be anything but a Christian bubble. You should be so out-oriented that they see your good works, they see your lifestyle, and they praise God in heaven. People who hate you and hate the idea of Christianity, hate the idea of following me, should still talk about how awesome it is to have Christians in the area because the Christian community helps so much. So what Jesus said Christian community was meant to be. Paul said it this way in Corinthians. 
He's talking about what it should be like when non-believers come into a Christian community, when they come into a church or a crew gathering or a space, even like a hangout where a couple of Christians are hanging out. He talks about the way that they talk to one another. He calls it prophecy. He says, God should be so thick in the way you talk to one another, so tangible in the words you speak over each other, and to them that when they come into the room, they should fall on their knees and say, God really is among you. When non-believers come into Christian community, this is what they're supposed to experience. It is supposed to be the greatest testimony of the Christian faith. The greatest way we share who Jesus really is is in the community that we form, the relationships we form with one another. If you read scripture, you'll notice this. If you, if you actually like do a, a Bible study of this, you'll notice over a third of the people in scripture who experience conversions, it's almost half. And if you're, you, you listen to any Christian historian, they'll tell you a minimum of 33%, over a third. Most theologians think it's somewhere close to 75% of the people who have chosen to follow Christ with their lives. When you actually ask them what convinced them that God was real, they will tell you it was an experience of Christians loving each other so drastically and so radically and so differently that they had to just say God was real. The entire book of Ruth begins with this testimony. Some of y'all were at leadership retreat a couple weeks ago. We talked about this. Uh, the book of Ruth begins actually with Ruth's conversion, with, with her becoming one of the people of God. And the reason she actually says it right in the beginning in chapter 1, verse 16, she starts this kind of monologue. She's talking to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi is, is kind of trying to get her to face reality. She's saying, Ruth, you're, you're a widower in a culture and a context where you have no money, you have no background, you have nothing defending you. The only safe thing for you to do is to go back home to your old family. But her old family, they were Moabites. They worshiped the god Moab. And she says this in response. After experiencing Christian community, after experiencing the community of the people of God, her response to this, you have to go back, is this. Let God kill me and more also, if anything but death separates me from this community. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. That's the response people who experience Christian community are supposed to have. They're supposed to walk in the room, not Christians, and leave being unable to leave. That's how Christian community is meant to be. It is meant to be the great testimony of the Christian faith, but it doesn't take very long. You don't have to do a lot of work talking to people who aren't Christians to get a feel for what most people experience in the context of Christian community. Uh, there's a book my dad gave me uh, when I was a senior in high school. My dad's a, let me preface this. My dad is a pastor. He's a very godly man, but he wanted to show me this. It was a warning uh, I was at a school where, where very few of my classmates were Christian, and he wanted to warn me about a reality he'd seen. So he gave me this book. It's called Losing My Religion. It is an autobiographical account of the man who was formerly the head of the New York Times religion department. And he shares just his life story. He shares how uh, he got to a terrible place in his life and he cried out, he prayed to God and had this supernatural encounter with God. He said, Jesus Christ, I had this encounter with God and it totally changed my life. My life was a wreck. All of a sudden, it was awesome. 
He said, I introduced Jesus to my family. It completely changed the dynamic of my family. Jesus saved my life. Jesus saved my family. So I became a Christian, and then he started to share about what his experience was like. As he got into Christian community, he actually became, again, he got this, he thought it was a dream job. He thought it was God giving him this incredible opportunity to be the New York Times religion uh, writer. He said, I realized I was gonna get to share with the world what I saw as I traveled the world, but especially America, investigating what American Christians did when they gathered together. Within four years, he'd given up his faith. Within four years, going from church to church to church, going from ministry to ministry, hanging out with different Christian groups, it had completely disillusioned him. He completely rejected his Christian faith. And at the end of the autobiography, it was written in the present tense because he's still alive today. This is what he says. He says, when I gave up my religion, I had no logical reason to. There is no logical reason to give up Christianity. It makes tons of sense. The Bible, if you do the work, makes sense. If you actually do the research, there's tons of logical reason to believe Christianity. He said, I had no philosophical reason. There's no philosophical or, or spiritual reason to give up my faith. He said, I gave up my faith because of Christians. He said this, as I was doing my reports for the Times, Christians who were actually following their God and living after him shone like stars in the sky because everywhere else was so dark. He said, I saw more abuse, more cruelty, more conniving and manipulation in these Christian communities than I saw anywhere in the secular world. And it got so severe that one day I finally just had to say, I cannot be a Christian. Gandhi said it this way, when he was asked about how and why he did all of his work of peaceful resistance that totally and utterly freed the nation of India, he never hid who was his inspiration, who he built his entire work on. He said, my entire life's work is built upon the foundation of Jesus of Nazareth. Everything I have done has been based off of the teachings and the models and the life of Jesus Christ. The reporter immediately responded in this interview, so are you a Christian, Gandhi? He said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he said, how? How can you say you build your entire life work on Jesus Christ and yet not commit your world to him? And he said, it's very simple. I love your Christ, but I'm not so sure about your Christians. Your Christians look so little like your Christ. community is meant to be the great testimony of the faith. And yet, if you look at it, there is nothing distracting Christians more from God, and there is nothing distracting other people from him than Christian community. How did we get here? How did we get to the point where the greatest testimony of the faith has become its greatest idol? Look no further than the Imago Dei. To understand that, if you want to know any dysfunction in Christian community, it always comes down to this one thing. We have misconstrued the Imago Dei. That term Imago Dei first appears in Genesis chapter 1. It literally, it's just a Greco-Roman way of saying the image of God. And I want you guys to see this because it's literally inherent in what it means to be a human. According to Christianity, this is what it means to be human. We're in Genesis chapter 1. 
We're going to start in verse 26. This is God speaking as he creates and forms humanity. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image after our very likeness. Let them have dominion over fish of the sea and over birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creeping things that creep along the earth. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When we're introduced to God's creation of humanity, this is the first thing he says. He, he actually describes why humanity exists, what it means to be human. We call this Christian anthropology. The word anthropology in the study of anthropology literally is just this one question. What does it mean to be human? The Bible answers that question in its first chapter. It means that you are a living, breathing image bearer of God Almighty. When God creates humanity, he says, I put my likeness on them. That's a really fancy way of saying you are a mirror a small mirror of the infinite God. What God is saying is this, the great I am, transcendent existed, almighty creator of all existence, literally looks at you like the sun looks at the moon. You are intended, you are created to take God's light and shine it back on a dark world. That's literally why you were created. You bear his image to be a human if you're really human and if you're living it out, it means to be a walking, talking, breathing reflection, a small reflection of the transcendent God of the universe. He put his likeness, he put his DNA, he put his essence on you. You're a tiny fraction of his being. And he loves it. But we forget this and we pervert this and when we do, Unity and community falls apart. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. I know, it's like he waited all this time to get into his passage. I'm sorry, guys. We're in John, 1 John, sorry, chapter 4. We're starting in verse 7. John is writing to the church uh, in this letter. We call it 1 John because John wrote three letters and a gospel and another book called The Revelation of John. He wrote a lot of things. Um, this is his first letter to the church. Uh, and, and to understand the context, John is writing this. He's old, and he's, he's not about to die, but he's getting there. And he's isolated on an island. He's the last of Jesus' 12 apostles, or his, his closest disciples, his closest followers, who's still alive. He's one of the last people alive who intimately knew Jesus when he was walking on the earth. And he's trying to remind people in this letter, what does it mean to be Christian? On a side note, if you don't know what it means to be Christian, or you're trying to connect to your faith, or you're trying to introduce Christianity to someone, this is the book for you. Because he literally just outlines what does it mean to be a Christian. And as he outlines it, this is in the fourth of five chapters, so we're getting to the very end. And right at the end, he puts this passage in about what it really looks like to live for Christ in community. And listen to what he says. We're starting in verse seven. Beloved, that's a way of saying Christians. Let's love one another for love is from God. All love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who doesn't love does not know God because God is love or God is the source of all love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. That's tangible among us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son 
to be propitiation. That's a way of saying the healing for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. He's inside and overflowing through us, and his love makes us perfect. His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Or again, God is the source of love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. God abides in them. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he's also, or because as he is, so we also are in this world. Okay, now guys, pay attention to this. Do not miss this. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not experienced perfect love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates, or another way you could say that is rejects. If anyone says, I love God, but rejects his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love their brother or sister, whom they can see, cannot love God who is unseen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love their brothers and their sisters. Again, that's another way of saying Christians. Okay, John is writing to the church and he's saying, this is what Christian community looks like. And he actually highlights these three ways. He speaks God's truth and more importantly, God's love into these three dysfunctions we create when we pervert the Imago Dei. See, the first way we pervert the Imago Dei is with ourselves. We refuse to see God's imprint on ourselves. Again, when I ask a third, mostly of the people in this room, but also just of students on this campus, why is community killing you? They will say, because I'm lonely because I'm rejected, because I'm ostracized, because I'm off, because I can't connect. And what the world's response to that would be is just perform better, be cooler, be nicer, work out more, get better looking, get whatever, be perform more. The other response you'll get is, we'll find people who click with you. The third response you'd get is just have more confidence in yourself. But that's never gonna work. All of our ostracism from community always comes from one thing. John highlights it here. Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. When you experience anxiety in the context of community, ostracism in the context of community, what's going on in a heart level, there might be a lot of things going on in a mental state. There might be a lot of things going on in the dynamic of your community, but in a spiritual sense, in a heart place, what's really going on is when you look in the mirror, you are not seeing someone who bears the image of God. His love casts out our fear. And the first great killer of community is this. When we look in the mirror, we are too busy trying to find our own image to notice the image of God staring us in the face. 
in Jeremiah, it says this, when God formed you, he formed you fearfully and wonderfully with care. And whether you see it or not, you have to understand this. When the living God looks at you, he sees someone he fearfully and wonderfully made, who he put his very essence in. He loves you way before you love yourself. You do not need more confidence in yourself when you look in the mirror. You need more confidence in the goodness of God. Our ostracism always comes from one source. We have fear because we've never been perfected by an encounter with God's love for us. The second great killer of community, and this is the great killer of community, is we fail to see the imago Dei. We fail to see the image of God in other people. John is very explicit about this. And so guys, again, I don't want y'all to hear me preaching at y'all, but you need to hear this. It is a terrifying reality. You cannot say, I love God, and reject someone made in his image. The one who says, I love God, but hates his brother or sister, rejects his brother and sister, won't reconcile with his brother or sister, won't be in community with another person made in God's image, is lying to themselves. Earlier in the book, he says, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. You're making a joke of Jesus. Because every time you choose who you accept and choose who you reject from your community, this is what you're telling to someone made in God's image. Hey, person who looks like Jesus in some beautiful, unique way, shape, or form. Hey, Jesus, you're cool, but you're not cool enough for me. Hey, Jesus, you're pretty, but you're not cute enough for, for, for my company. Hey, Jesus, you're just too socially awkward. Hey, Jesus, you're not enough. Every time we exclude someone from the community of Christ, you are spitting in God's face and making a joke of the greatest testimony of the faith. When we gather together, the relationships we form, the community, the atmosphere we create is meant to be the greatest testimony of who God is. You cannot love God and hate those made in his image. It will turn, it, it turns the greatest testimony into the greatest turnoff. Again, hear Gandhi's words, not in condemnation, but as a warning. I love your Christ, I'm just not sure about your Christians. We have to see the image of God, of God in everyone we encounter because it's there. Because it's there whether we acknowledge it or not. God made them fearfully and wonderfully no matter how much you don't like them. And again, community, the great testimony becomes dysfunctional the second, the moment we reject them. They might not be cool enough for you, but if they're not, Jesus isn't either. And the ultimate thing John says when he talks about Christian community, the ultimate thing he repeats over and over again, did you catch it? He says it over and over and over again because he doesn't want you to miss it. 
He doesn't want us to miss it. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us to miss it. God is love. God, not community, is the source of all love. See, community becomes dysfunctional. It becomes an idol ultimately when we turn it into a God. You will never experience the love you need from community. That's God's spot. That's his position. That's his purview. And he says this. He shares the gospel of Jesus. He literally, it's why he puts it in there. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to heal us. To bring us in to his community. You'll never receive the love you need from community, guys. People aren't enough. Jesus is. And the second we get that mixed up, we turn the great testimony into the great turnoff. Because all of a sudden you begin to need people instead of realizing your need for God. And if you're in this room and that's your story, or if you're in this room and you've experienced the dysfunction of that story, hear this, Jesus, not community, Jesus loves you. Community is not love. God is love. But when we give God our hearts, when we let him love us, then community becomes very good. When God is not in community, community is not good. But when we experience God's goodness, God is very good in community. Because I want y'all to just hear a quick little testimony of this. A couple of years ago, uh, we had a student. Uh, he was uh, from, he was an international, didn't speak very much English, uh, but he started to encounter and experience Christians. And as he came into Christian community, uh, I was actually warned by someone, actually, maybe you shouldn't bring him into small group. Someone warned me, well, he doesn't speak good English. Well, I don't know if he'll understand the theology. Well, he might slow everyone else down, but again, the Lord just confronted me with this reality of if we don't accept him, if we don't bring him in, if we don't start loving on him, then who will and when, when will God do it? This is where he's supposed to experience it. So we started to bring him in, and for an entire semester, uh, this international dude uh, learned English reading the Bible with us. Uh, he learned about God's community firsthand because they were the people giving him rides and talking with him and caring for him and bringing him in. And six months in, I'll never forget this, six months in, we were uh, at a crew event and he looked me in the eyes and he said two things back to back. He said, I'm not a Christian, but I want everything you have. What I've experienced in these last six months is everything I've ever sought. Not the community, but God. And then he just looked at me and said, I think it's time. It's been six months in Christian community. It's time I become one. That's what happens. That's what happens when we actually let God be good in our community. When we remember the Imago Day. When we don't look at ourselves through our own eyes, but we see our, ourselves through God's eyes and we see the image that he's imprinted on us. We don't need to get more confident in ourselves. We're confident in his goodness and in his image, not our own.
when we see the Imago Dei in others, we stop rejecting them and we start bringing them deep in. And it transforms their lives because the goodness that they're looking for is not in community and the goodness we're looking for is not in community. The goodness we're looking for is the love of Jesus Christ. Community is not good without God. But God is very good when we let him in to our community. Let me pray for y'all. Jesus, I pray over our group. I pray over our Christian community here. Lord, I pray first and foremost, Lord, that you would just heal anyone's uh, images of themselves that lack you. Holy Spirit, I pray that people would begin to see themselves as fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone in here, uh, any of us uh, who have rejected your children, I pray you'd forgive us and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us your eyes to see and your ears to hear and your heart to know the people that you've placed around us, people who you love, people who you've made in your image. God, let us love them well. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we'd receive first love from you and out of that overflow, God, that we would love this world and they would see our community and say, God really is among you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.